immigrants probably do it better than most people, I would think, rather than you know the general population. I, and probably because they're more aware. If you look at the older people in your community, a lot of them are still wearing sports coats, right? When they're 90 years old, going to a, you know a cultural event. Whereas that, that's not necessarily the case with people who've been here for generations. Welcome to a new episode of Community in Arabic, season two, sponsored by Lipton Yellow Label. Uh, I'm so excited today to be chatting with uh, Don Khoury. Uh, Don is a, a very exciting business development uh, executive, an expert in uh, nonverbal communication. Don has an amazing history in being a, a great executive, a great coach, and, and a great consultant. Uh, uh, he recently exited a successful business from Lebanese uh, heritage, uh, grew up in Canada, and then moved to the U.S. Uh, we would love to chat with him about uh, his expertise in uh, uh, nonverbal communication. Uh, he was a speaker in multiple venues and a consultant. Don, thank you so much for meeting with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is exciting. Yeah, yeah this is really exciting. So Don, as we were chatting before the episode, media, both written and, and visual, often portrays immigrants and then to a higher degree refugees um, very unfavorably and often in a negative way, which in turn shape a narrative about you know, who are immigrants and refugees, and then it, it, it reflects negatively on us as individuals. So we wanted to hear from your experience as a nonverbal communications expert about how can we as individuals better that narrative and reshape that image that's drawn about us. So we're really excited for the chat today. How was your quarantine time and uh, the COVID-19 era? Pretty good. I had to quarantine uh, for one period of time. I didn't have it, but I had to quarantine because I'd had a close uh, uh, contact. But uh, it's been, it hasn't been that bad. So Don, go, going back to your background, you are of Lebanese um, heritage. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, where you grew up and you know, about your journey coming here? Sure. So I, I grew up in eastern Canada uh, in a town called Fredericton, which is, you know, roughly 50,000 people, but it has a couple of universities. So it was a, a fairly um, uh, culturally diverse uh, community. And there were about 500 people in, uh, in the Lebanese community in that town. And over half of them probably came from the village that my family came from. So it was very much, uh, you know, we, we all knew each other and it was... Uh, it was a great place, an idyllic place to, to grow up. I ended up going to university uh, and then uh, down here, actually, in the United States. And then went home to Canada, worked for Xerox for a number of years, had some success there, uh, then met uh, an American at an alumni function and ended up moving back down here uh, and doing my MBA and, uh, you know, continuing to work either in uh, consulting or uh uh, or for other organizations in the in business development sales uh, positions. So, uh, you know, growing up as a child from uh, from an immigrant family, when did you start developing your your passion to communication and nonverbal communication? So, I think probably there's some roots to my childhood. My grandfather worked in a shoe factory that made high end shoes. So I love you know I love high end shoes, uh, and my father was always very um, conscious of how he dressed and how he presented himself. And so from a young age, I modeled a lot of these things. And then, you know, I read, started reading more and more about it. And I came across some research uh, that actually was done at, at MIT that suggested or showed that how you dress and how you present yourself is a bigger indicator of whether you're going to get um, venture capital funding than what's in your actual presentation. And so, and they called what was called a target effect. And so I looked at, 
well, if there's a target for whatever reason, I thought, well, there's a target effect on investors. There's also got to be a target effect on voters and how politicians affect uh, voter decisions. And so I just did, you know, a lot of research into that and came up with an algorithm that predicted the elections. Yeah, and uh, that algorithm uh, was successful, 97% uh, prediction rate, So, which yeah. was actually uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, it's, down, it's down about 95 right now, but we're getting... <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. trying to learn, bring it back to a higher number. Yeah. I mean, I would still call 95% a huge success. <laughs> All right. So, Don, if, if we can backtrack just a little bit and talk about, you know, what is a nonverbal communication, you know, how to define it and, and just what it is. So, it's a lot of people think nonverbal communication, they think of body language, and body language is a part of it, right? But it's also how we appear, it's how we control the environment around us, or not necessarily control it or understand it or be able to read the environment and how we wanna position ourselves in that. Uh, there are also things that we can do to help amplify our communication, but there are also things that we can't do. So to be able to understand how someone is communicating in ways that they can't control it, but what that says about them in the communication. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the importance of it, but uh, what do you think the importance of it in terms of approaching business and professional life versus, let's say, public uh, servant as a politician? The interesting thing is I think politicians have understood how to communicate in a way that that's most effective. And business leaders, I think, need to learn a lot from the politicians and how they communicate to best influence the audience you're trying to influence. Uh, and so, again, I, I often say uh, what politicians know, business leaders need to learn to be able to better influence their message. That's actually a great segue to our next question. What is it that politicians do better? I mean, you have more of an interest in, in analyzing politicians, so what is it that you find them doing better than the average person on one level and then business leaders on another level? I think they focus much more on their dress as it relates to persuasion or influence versus style. And there is a difference between style and persuasion. And so I think what you'll find with politicians, if you look at them, again, they're more focused on influence and persuasion. And I don't know that business people actually think about that very much in terms of when they're, when they're presenting themselves. Kind of relying the message you want to deliver with, you know, how you deliver it and then how you dress and how you communicate it. Right, and the credibility that that, it can, that, that can afford. Some politician, they pay an expert to, to pick for them the amount of tear uh, and wear and tear the, their shoes has to have. Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, depending on the uh, crowd they address, if, if they go to businessmen, if they go to factory workers, they pick the shoes with the um, right amount of level of uh, shininess and wear and tear to, uh, to relay that message. Imagine that. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it, can be, it can be very detailed. And even, even to, again, it's, it's how they present themselves. It's how they dress. It's how they, how they have people around them, right? So you'll often see politicians with people who are perfectly ethnically weighted to the population yeah. of the United States. You've got everything, young, old, every diaspora is, uh, you know, is represented. It doesn't happen by accident. It's, it's created on purpose. No, I, actually, that, that's, that's a great thing. I was listening to your TED Talk um, from a few years ago about you know, the, the message that politicians deliver. And then you said something, you said that people do 
they make a decision emotionally and then they backtrack and try to kind of put a reason into the decision they've already made emotionally, like whether they realize it or not. Absolutely. And whether it's buying a car, right? You really only need a car with four wheels, a luxury vehicle, and you'll justify it with reason in your mind. And it's the same thing with people, right? We will instinctually see somebody when they walk in the room and we'll make a number of different judgments. I mean, you can look mm -hmm. at somebody and say, and ask questions. You take two people and say, okay, which one is a Republican? Which one smokes marijuana? Which one does, and you can make those decisions. Now, whether it's true or not, you're gonna make those decisions based on how they appear. These kind of details, very interesting to me when, when you look at the presidential debate and you see how, for example, the Democrats and Republicans, they change their, their attire, color, or tie to, to kind of relate to the opposite party uh, in terms of blue right. or red or uh, something like that. Uh, what's the main predictors to you when analyzing a certain campaign uh, or certain approach that would say, hey, that's, uh, you know, this happened, meaning, yes, he's going to make it. Well, it's interesting. You know, I used to capture a number of what I called positive attributes and negative attributes in terms of how they communicated non-verbally. And it was, it was around 35 on each side. And then I met a great professor named uh, Dr. Chotan Basu at uh, uh, the University of Wisconsin. And he took all of my score sheets and, you know, with a couple of other professors and looked at it. And what he was able to come up with that only three of the things that I was capturing mattered. And they were all what I would call negative and unconscious. So these were things that weren't necessary, people weren't necessarily uh, purposely communicating, right? So, and it, and it related mostly to honesty. So, mm. although the appearance matters, people are going to make judgments. As the debate goes on, they are going to, whether they realize what they're picking up or not, they're going to. Uh, reason and put evidence towards the decisions that they've already made based on how honest the uh, the politician is. What I hear you say here is, you know, I will be making my um, decision or like my perception of you emotionally and you'll be delivering a message, you know, unintentionally to me through the way you communicate. So there's a lot of unintentions going both ways where both right. people are making a judgment without realizing that this is the judgment they're making. Right. If you're, if they're judgment of you and then the way you communicate you know, unconsciously afterwards are in conflict, people will then not like that person, right? And so the, that's why the honest communication matters more than anything else, because you can't control the level of truthfulness that's communicated. So you just have to be truthful. And how do you think that truthfulness or that message uh, that is, you know, professionally relied by politician can be implemented in, for example, I have a business or I have a, you know, social media appearance. How can I relay that message to my audience? It's that honesty piece. So there are things you can control, how you dress, how you've been trained to move your hands. But then there's also uh, just being honest because that is going to bring both of those things together. Again, if people see a difference between what you're saying and then what your body is saying, they react with displeasure and then they're seeking clarification. If they don't get the clarification, they're going to uh, either act hostily or withdraw from the situation. And so again, it's just so important to just be honest. You, you know, like you said, you walk into the room and then you already have a, a perception about the person, uh, you know, across, across the room from you. And in this case, it can be, you know, us as immigrants, right? There's always a perception of, of who you are. 
And then, you know, what is it that we have to be aware of? Walking into the room, knowing that more, more likely than not, the other person has some sort of perception about us um, to be able to kind of, you know, start from a good place with them, kind of try to erase whatever, you know, perceptions they have and, and start it on an individual candid base. People say familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I think familiarity breeds friendship, right? And there's an interesting uh, psychological concept called the uh, fundamental attribution error. And mm -hmm. so the less we know somebody, the more we are apt to judge them. And anything negative that happens to them, we're going to judge to their character and anything positive to the environment. The more we learn <laughs> and, and break bread with these people, right, or other people with us, that reverses. So anything positive that happens to them, we attribute to their character. And then the, anything negative, we attribute to environmental factors. And so that's the idea, I think, that, that matters more than anything else, is creating that familiarity. You know, when I think about it, as you say it, it's, it's so true that we do this without realizing, you know, and you see somebody and then you start thinking of, you know, what in his environment made him or her successful before thinking what in their personality that made them, you know, successful. But then the, the better you know them, you start actually making reasons why they are the ones that bring the success, not the environment. That's really fascinating. That, that's to think exactly. About. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of the things that makes sense, but you never think about it until you hear it. And then you're like, oh, wow, this makes perfect sense, you know. So, and, and again, so to that point, that's why the nonverbal behavior or nonverbal uh, communication is so important in the beginning, but less important at the end. So if I have a, a business person I wanna go meet with, I better be wearing a suit. Now, after I met with them 10 times and I need them to sign something and I'm on my way to the golf course, I can show up in my shorts, but I can't show up in my shorts in the first meeting, right? Because. <laughs> They're going to kick me out of there. I actually like really agree with that. And I, I find it fascinating in, in my industry and I'm in commercial real estate. You often see people who are, you know, you know, high power people, they're market movers. And then they show up to meetings and I'm like, you know, how are you wearing like khakis to your meeting? Like, how is this okay? And how are people like have so much respect and everybody is paying attention to what they say, paying attention to the, their behavior and their opinion about the market. And then, you know, it makes sense that they've built such a strong image that, image is not the deciding factor anymore. Is, is that a good exactly. assumption? Yeah. So it's most important early on rather than later. Absolutely. Yeah. To that uh, idea, when you see big tech executives in Silicon Valley, uh, they're wearing t-shirts all the time, like Mar Mark Zuckerberg or, or uh, Elon Musk, they just, you know, wear their gray or black t-shirt all the time, wherever they go. Uh, to, to them, uh, I was uh, reading a report like they want to minimize the amount of uh, decisions they make per day because uh, they, to them, they make two or three main decisions every day. That's it. Like for us, uh, you, you know, general public, <laughs> we do, uh, you know, 50 to 100 decisions per day. But uh, for them, they make these two, three main decisions. So uh, one less decision of what should I wear? That's yeah. for them. That's the best case scenario. Well, the interesting thing about Mark Zuckerberg is when he's in Silicon Valley, he's wearing a, uh, a T-shirt or a hoodie. But if you Google him before Congress, uh, he's wearing a suit, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> the environment matters, right? <laughs> Knowing your audience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This interesting part of uh, the nonverbal communication and uh, the the correlation with the verbal communication. So let's say to me, I want to convey a big idea to you, 
or I want to convey a small idea to you. So in your opinion, uh, is it that much common that people are trying to relay an idea verbally, but uh, you know, non-verbally they're failing? In a lot of cases, um, that's going to happen. Even in, in, uh, in your industry, right? In, 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 uh, in the medical field, there, they've done studies where the, the vocal pitch and tone of the doctor when he's delivering something, uh, people are more apt to follow the prescription if a doctor speaks in a certain way versus the other. And that's nothing to do with their qualifications. It has everything to do with you know, their vocal pitch and tone. So, so those, those things matter. In your experience, and you, know, you come from an immigrant family surrounded by a big community, what are some traits that you see or some things that you see immigrants often failing to do in, in their body language and how they portray themselves that needs to be better? Immigrants probably do it better than most people, I would think, rather than you know, the general population. I, and probably because they're more aware, right? And if you look at the older people in your community, in, 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 uh, in immigrant communities, a lot of them are still wearing sports coats, right? When they're 90 years old, going to a, you know, a cultural event. Whereas that, that's not necessarily the case with people who have been here for generations. So I think that immigrants probably do it better. It's been my experience anyway, in what I've, what I've seen. To you, who's the master or, you know, the high skilled communicator that you can point out? Probably Bill Clinton would be, you know, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, uh, Obama during his 2008 campaign. You know, there's, there's a number that, uh, that do it very well. There's a, a governor, a former governor of Washington state, Christine Gregoire, uh, who was also a, a very good communicator. And I think that, that lends to uh, people just wanting to be around them. I was uh, watching a report that pointing out at somebody is, you know, considered aggressive. But uh, right. he used to do it this way. So That's this, right. this way, your 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 palm is uh, closed, but at the same time, you kind of pointing out, but not in an aggressive right. way. So closing your thumb or you know your finger and thumb together. You know, these are authoritative but not aggressive. Whereas this is aggressive, and so you can say this is how we need to do it, and people aren't going to put their back against the wall, right? Versus this is how we need to do it. Exactly. I'm, I'm thinking of how many times I did this, not knowing <laughs> how aggressive I'm coming across. <laughs> so if we, if we were to think about this, is there anything in that comes to mind that people often do that they shouldn't do? Just say one, two, three. People often do these things, and they're pretty bad. Well, again, I, I think the pointing is a, you know, is a bad one. Not building rapport with people ahead of time, right? So a lot of times, you know, in trainings that I, that I do, I talk about starting the conversation from your body and moving out. So if you build that rapport by starting in and moving out, then you can commit, you can then move into more definitive gesturing, right, in the, at the end. Because if you come in right away and start doing the definitive gesturing, people are going to be put off. So you need to build that rapport with the audience. Like now we're, we're in the podcast uh, world, like in you know, all this form of uh, media communication, these short videos, stuff like that. Where do you see the nonverbal communication going into the future? Well, I think it matters just like it would matter in any other any other place, right? Uh, you know, I was I was commenting on the rug you guys have. It's a really nice rug. Uh, I'd even have that in the frame. It's it, it comes across as very uh, uh, regal. Right? Yes. I, I, I like that. I, I hope it's showing, Sebastian. <laughs>
<laughs> we were trying to be actually mindful of, of the set and we had a lot of discussion within the team of, you know, how we switch from, from season one to season two to say, okay, we are a community podcast. So we're actually thinking about what is our, you know, our studio conveying about us being a community and how can we make it more like, so we just decided to be on the couch, be at home and just yeah. do and it from, from our home to, to our audiences. And, it, and that creates a, a level of intimacy, I think that that's important, right? If you were sitting uh, behind a, a, a mock-up of a, of a TV studio, it wouldn't be as intimate. Right. You look at um, the Young Turks, right? They're, they create a less of a uh, of an intimate uh, conversation with the community. And you know that again to the familiarity and and the honesty, right? Yeah. The, you know, going a full circle, trying to kind of show them that hey, we're uh, we're communicating with you from a home setting. You know, just a community uh, podcast and a show, and uh, we want to uh, talk about interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you, you got me thinking about. You know, one of the biggest examples, I think, of, of the power of nonverbal communication are pharma uh, commercials on TV. So you see mm -hmm. these people smiling and happy and doing all these things. But the words that are actually being said, you know, you shouldn't do this if you have this, this, it could cause this, could cause that. But nobody's listening to the words. They're seeing the images. And they're like, oh, I got to go get a prescription for that. Right. That's exactly right. I, I mean, now I'm thinking about it, uh, like somebody is walking at springtime and all smiling and then uh, this can cause you a heart attack, a stroke, <laughs> possible death. Call your doctor. <laughs> Actually, one of our team members works on all this like pharma ads. So, <laughs> okay. So, so what would be an advice that you would offer for, let's just say, you know, younger immigrants, you just came here, you're trying to break your way through and trying to portray the right image about yourself to just make your way here in, in this country? I think, I think how you dress is probably the most important thing because you, the first impression and how you walk in the room uh, is crucial. And, and one of the things that you had said about the shoes, I, I would rather have a $500 suit and a $1,000 pair of shoes than a $3,000 suit and a $100 pair of shoes because people are gonna look at your shoes first. And right. not only be, they better be nice shoes, but they better be well-kept, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're going into a factory and you're a politician and you should wear work boots, right? I mean, it, that, that context matters as well. Exactly. Right. When I was thinking about it, I'm, I'm thinking of something. If you meet a number of people that, you know, come from different ethnic groups or different kind of backgrounds or are perceived as coming from different backgrounds, wouldn't you judge them differently based on their look and how their look is associated with, with you know, like their ethnicity or their race or, or where they come from? Oh, I think there's a lot of that in the beginning, for sure. People are going to make judgments just by seeing you. But then again, once you have that familiarity, the importance of those other factors lessens more and more the more familiar you become with somebody, mm -hmm. right? But to your point, I mean, there, there are certainly cultural uh, things that have been put out there that are going to judge, people are going to be unfairly judged. Right. And it's also a regional thing, right? Um, if you look at different regions of the country in the Northeast or in the Boston area where I am, uh, people aren't so are, aren't as judging, and and I think it's more because of the familiarity. And everybody went to school together here because all the universities are here, right? Right, right. right. You know, that's one of the things I love about being, you know, in Chicago and in New York and Montreal and all the like the big cities is, like I said, we're kind of familiar. It's like such a diverse place where you're less likely to be judged, you're more likely to blend in. 
Um, it's just like the, the great how open here. and international is the, the right. city is. The more it communicates, right. that's really something to to think uh, about moving forward. Uh, you know how to how to dress, how to present yourself. Uh, you know the different settings and uh, yeah, I mean the, that was a really interesting uh, conversation to to now start noticing these stuff on people and yeah. kind of tell how you approach uh, every situation is uh, in, a, in a special way. So uh, thank you so much, Don, for this interesting conversation. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We really enjoyed the conversation. It's very mind-provoking. So I'm sure audience are going to be like Googling, looking through their old pictures and be like, I cannot believe I did this. <laughs> I cannot believe I showed up to an interview wearing this or doing that. So that's really interesting. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you.